Welcome to the Momnificent Podcast. This is the place where we help parents live a happy, healthy life with their kids. We're going to show you how to connect with your child and help them even in their most difficult moments as we hear from experts in the field. I'm your host, Dr. Karin Jakubowski, an international speaker, public school principal, and former struggling student. The Momnificent Podcast equips parents with science-based strategies to help you live a happy, healthy life with your kids. Welcome. Okay, so I am going to host my second live six-week course. Uh, This time it's called Momnificent Mastermind. We're going to go over uh, all of the collaborative problem-solving process that we learned in the Happy Kids Not Perfect Kids live course, and parents have asked for me to launch this again, so here we go. Take two. I'm so excited. It's been so much fun. Uh, It's a really beautiful community of moms who uh, jump on those calls and to hear parents say that they are implementing the things that we're talking about and seeing things change and happen for them. Uh, It excites them and it totally supercharges me. And so I'm excited to be offering this course again. So it's going to run six weeks, March into April. So the link is below. You can register there or my website, www.educationalimpactacademy.com and share it with someone you know. Um, Let's help spread the word. I'm here to help and it's been so exciting and it, it, it literally makes me smile when I wake up in the morning knowing that I can help one more parent today. So hope you'll join me. If not, you can catch the recording of it. Also, I created that for those of you on the go who just like to listen and learn uh, as you're traveling, driving, maybe you can't jump on the calls live, which is not a problem. So I kind of set that up for you too. So either way, uh, I'm just trying to find ways to get you this helpful information, tools, and strategies. So hopefully we'll see you if you end up taking the course. Well, I am so honored to have Dr. Catherine Monk with me today, who is a professor in the Department of OBGYN and Psychiatry at Columbia University. Her research brings together the fields of psychopathology developmental psychobiology, developmental psychoneuroscience, and perinatal psychiatry. This focuses on the earliest influences on children's development trajectories, those that happen in utero, and how to intervene early to prevent mental health problems. Her research has been continuously funded by the National Institute of Health since her National Institute of Mental Health Career Development Award 21 years ago. Dr. Monk, welcome to Momnificent. Thanks so much. I'm really pleased to be here. And where are you enjoying Momnificent from today? Ah, yes. <laughs> I am I'm just outside of New York City. So I am in the state of New York. Busy, busy place and area. And this is a fun question I always love to start an interview with. What's one thing that you have done recently that you haven't done for some time that just brings you joy? Oh my goodness, that is actually easy to answer because I was really anticipating it, and it was one way of um, managing, you know, a somewhat altered um, holiday season. I think many of us had. So I took a bath, and it was awesome. 
I can actually totally relate to that. When people are like, what do you do to de-stress? I'm like, take a bath. <laughs> yeah, right. No, it's, you know, it's one thing that is yeah. usually under your control. You can make it happen and you can anticipate it and you can make it special with candles or yeah. whatever you want to do. And, and it was great. Yeah. And if it's something that really, really distresses and yeah. helps you just like, like it does for me, totally Absolutely. decompress. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Thanks for sharing that. So Dr. Monk, can we talk about postpartum depression? What is it, first of all, maybe in simple, simple, for simple terms, or, you know, we throw that term around a lot, we hear it so much, but maybe you can just walk us through that. And maybe how do you know if you even have it? Mm -hmm. So, you know, postpartum depression really is pretty consistent with depression in general, in terms of what the symptomatology is like, although it can get confusing because some of the symptoms such as, um, you know, changes in sleep are happening anyway postpartum. So it can get confusing in that sense, but really we're talking about a very um, distressed state that, that's pretty prolonged. Um, it really needs to go on for two weeks to really be what we wanna call a frank depression, a frank postpartum depression. So it's really feeling down, sad, um, unable to do things, unmotivated for at least two weeks. Um, certainly, you know, is associated with crying and, and there, there usually is um, problems with sleep, which of course is also a precipitant to it and also happening postpartum anyway, but usually sleep is off in part from a kind of worrying agitated state or there's too much sleep, which is hard to do with baby, but there can be that um, feeling of just all you wanna do is sleep. Um, there tends to be a, um, a component, a cognitive component of self-blame not being, not feeling worthy that really endures. It's, you know, all of us have a negative chatter in our minds less and more depending on what's going on. This is really amplified. It just really is relentless. Sometimes there are thoughts of what we call passive suicidality. Things would be better if I weren't around or frank thoughts of, I, you know, of, of suicide, I need to get out of here. I can't, can't endure the pain. That's a very serious state. Um, so it's, it's, it is, you know, very consonant with the symptoms of depression in general, but it's happening in the postpartum period. Now, I, I will say, however, that there's a lot of research going on and, and, you know, healthy debate as to whether postpartum depression is something distinct or a subgroup of depression in general. And, and so for some women, it does seem that the hormone fluctuations um, may be a precipitant. And obviously that's not happening in men in the same way, or it's not happening in other stages of life. All right. Thank you so much. Thanks for sharing that. So in addition to postpartum depression, what are we really talking about often that isn't a diagnosis, but is part of the experience of this transition? And what, what does that kind of look like? Yeah, I'm so glad you asked that because that's really where I wanted to go is that, you know, I use the word frank depression. So, you, you know, you've got this extreme where, you know, there'd be 100% reliability. Every mental health professional would say, yes, this person qualifies for depression. But what we're really concerned about from a uh, wellness standpoint and from um, you know, the health of the birthing person and the child and the future family is everyone on the continuum that is just not feeling as they thought they would. And that's a really important piece to this because um, it's really difficult um, you know, I imagine some listeners are hopefully are nodding. It's really difficult the first couple of months. The first couple of weeks are really, really difficult. So that's why we do have the term baby blues. That is more of a transient state of, of a tearfulness and not feeling like yourself. And part of it is the discordance with 
it was the, the images are just, you know, supposed to be bliss. You're in love with your baby right away. And it's all beautiful and amazing. It's what you've wanted all your life. And so part of also what goes on is we don't manage expectations. Well, we don't, um, I think talk enough about this is a truly difficult period. It is um, you're exhausted. You sometimes just feel physically terrible, depending on what kind of labor you had or a C-section. Um, your relationship, if you have one with a significant other, is dramatically altered. Um, you are so sleep deprived. You're you're dislodged from your work life, if you had one. Many many women nowadays do have that whole identity built up. And while it's this amazing, joyous time, a lot of the in and out is quite routine and mundane and um, kind of mind numbing. So there's, it's really a difficult period. And it's all new. You know, what I often say to, to patients is, you know, you're, um, there's no real manual, even though you've read tons of books and you're on your job for the first, you know, this is your new job. And you didn't really get a kind of ramp up period. It's like, boom, there you are, you're it. So typical to have self-doubt, to have some anxiety, to have some teariness, to be sort of sad at moments about, wow, my, there are parts of my life that I am really missing right now. I can't just go out and go for a run because I wanna you know, get my mood better. I've gotta figure out who's gonna be with the baby and when am I pumping and when am I doing this? So a lot of different feelings and, I, and, and some of them are stress or distressful and we need to um, allow for that. And it doesn't mean the person has postpartum depression, but it can also mean that it would be really great to get some added support, whether that's through friends, family, community, or something more formal like some counseling. And what I think is so good about this conversation we're having is that just the more people who hear about it, they will know that it happens. It's it's out, you know, because like if, if you don't hear it and then you experience it and you think you're the only one experiencing it, but if we can normalize, like you're gonna, you may feel X, Y, and Z. And actually that is what moms have and are. And I think that's what's really helpful. And maybe it's it, it hasn't been talked about um, or you don't see it. And who's going to be like that, Frank? And open all we do is see the glamour and the pictures that all look like everything's perfect on normal days. Babies are not right. So I think it's so important just to be like, hey, you're you are normal, and this is you know, if just naming it and putting like just describing and talking about it, I think it's it's really really helpful. Um, what are important messages that you would want mothers to hear? thinking about their identity to prepare before their baby comes like, or if they are listening and they have a new baby now, what would you say to start getting them more comfortable with some of those feelings that, that you don't want to admit how to, how do you normalize those feelings? Right. Well, you use such a key word there of identity. And I think that's a, um, I had a patient recently say to me, I thought it was just going to be an add on but it's not just an add-on, you know, so becoming a mother. And even though there is, you know, the maternal experience, you know, for many women, frankly, or birthing people starts even before pregnancy, you know, they always wanted to have children. This is a direction they really wanted to go. And it's a big part of who they want to be, their values, et cetera. Um, but the sort of how that gets imagined and then what it's actually like. And, and so the patient said, I thought it was just an add-on, you know, like, okay, now I know how to ski, you know, now I do X, but it's so much more than that. And it does, I mean, I think people know this sort of um, 
their rational minds, but emotionally may not know so much is not just adding on, it does also mean taking away. It just, just by the, 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 the math problem of the numbers in the day, you can't do all the things you used to do that are part of your identity and be an engaged mother. Um, you know, then there are lots of different ways to be a mother. I don't mean to um, put that into a narrow box. Some women birthing people to be a good parent feel like I need to be there 14 hours a day. For other people, it's, you know, if I'm four hours a day, that's when I'm great and that's gonna work best for us. But it's more that this is really not just an add-on. It is, things are not gonna be as much as they used to be. There's loss, acknowledging there's some loss. You're saying goodbye to parts of yourself, to an identity that are, are, are not gonna be as an ascendant right now. They may come back when your child is in their 20s or 30s. Um, you don't walk away from a child most of the time. Other decisions in our lives, we really can walk away from. They can be painful, but we change jobs, we change careers, we do get divorces. Um, very, very rarely do people really walk away from having a child in that identity and that commitment. So it's huge. And I think we don't talk enough about the shuffling around that. And if I can add on, I just, the, the different feelings, you know, I like to think of emotions as, as um, if I can use this reference, a Jackson Pollock painting, you know, where there's just, there's a lot on the campus all over. And that to say that just because you have feelings of loss or sadness or even anger and frustration sometimes, it's, I, I was just hearing a patient talk about her baby teething. She said, how did he have the energy? He cried for six hours straight. You know, how did he do that? That's hard. And so you can be frustrated. It doesn't mean you don't love your child. It doesn't mean you're a bad mother. So that's why we, like a, that Jackson Pollock painting, you have these different experiences. One doesn't outdo the other. There's sometimes a lot of different feelings at once and naming them, as you say, acknowledging them is part of our managing them and having our behaviors um, go where we want them to go rather than our emotions taking over at times. Mm, that's so good. So I think it would be helpful maybe to go through the ways that you've learned in your research that we can take care of ourselves to set ourselves up for the best experience postpartum before the baby's born. What are some, maybe some concrete steps that parents could do or take to prepare in that way? Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, the, the reading that every, you know, most people do nowadays is, is important. Um, but I, I think it's really important to um, you know, be around people who have babies, but in a different mode, you know, often before people have children, they're around their friends who have kids, but it's, it's, it's with, okay, that's their kid and we're hanging out and that's great, but now be with them and really watch them as you might, you know, you've watched someone when you've, you know, been trained at a job. Oh, that's how they do that. But then my neighbor does it differently. And wow, babies are so different and parenting is so different. And just a, you're kind of a participant observer. Um, and talking frankly to, to people, this is so important, um, you know, around what it's really like, you know, what are your hard moments? Ask that question. What are the hard moments? What did you not expect as a way to help yourself manage expectations? I think the managing expectations really is key and um, the practical side of that as well. Okay, so how is this really gonna work? I mean, do we have the resources to get a night nurse? Do we have the resources to get a doula? Rhode Island is a state right now that supports doulas through both insurance and Medicaid. So people who have all kinds of financial backgrounds can have access to a doula and in case people don't know, doulas are very typically very flexible and they can come um, meet with you 
pregnancy, they can be there at the birth or not, and they can be there postpartum. They can cook a meal, they can hold the baby, they can give some advice on breastfeeding. Um, but planning for that kind of support, or do you have a really involved mother and you really get along with her and that's gonna work for you, or a mother-in-law, or a sister, or a friend, or do you not? Is it, the, the rhythm with you and your mom is fighting more than anything. You know, Really planning, who's gonna come out and help? Because particularly the first few weeks are so tough. Um, we have become, you know, over the centuries, really removed from how we used to raise parents. Uh, raise parents, that was good, good slip. Um, how we used to raise children was having parents around, you know, and other generations to really help out. I also think really trying to anticipate around the couple relationship if there is a, a partner. Um, the you know, what is it going to feel like when um, the birthing person is super involved in breastfeeding and I'm not getting as much of her time? Um, I'm, you know, what is it going to feel like to be so exhausted that even when you're physically potentially ready to be intimate again, you just have absolutely zero in energy? You know, that can play out in a relationship. People's feelings get hurt. So all of these things, just really anticipating and talking about it and, yeah. and planning practically being just being aware just even bringing it to mind and then it like it normalizes it it doesn't make it like oh my gosh i can't believe this is happening because if you actually are aware of that you'll be like oh okay like um that's why i think it's still good to be open and hopefully more of these conversations are helping more women hear it so it does become something like oh okay that could happen and it, it's not such a surprise it's like oh well it, it has happened to someone else i'm not you know out of the norm or something's wrong with me because I'm experiencing this, which I think could be easy for someone to think. So you talk about the importance of practicing. This kind of makes me laugh a little with a doll oh, <laughs> or, yeah. or hanging around with friends who have a baby. And I was like, did she really just say that? Having the opportunity <laughs> to practice. So what's, what's important about that and what else would be helpful along those lines to practice? Yeah. You know, it's so interesting. I mean, I think may, many of us have heard that one approach to uh, helping teenagers realize that having, you know, having sex that is not thinking about the potential outcome of sex is to have high schools, you know, have these kids, you know, try and take care of a doll all day, right? You know, yes. sort of, so there it's, it's both, I mean, we have an intervention um, program that we run to um, aim to prevent postpartum depression and people who are more at risk where they've had a past depression, or they really have a lot of um, identified stressors in their lives, they're already um, feeling that kind of distress that I was describing before. And part of our way of approaching this is that how the baby is doing is going to affect the mother and how the mother thinks the baby's doing is going to affect her mood and just how they're doing together. So in pregnancy, you know, they are still very pregnant, but we work with them with a life-size doll that, you know, really has some weight to it as a way to um, practice um, you know, swaddling is not easy. It becomes easy once you've done it hundreds of times, but it's not. Um, and so how do, you, how do you do that? Just kind of getting over some of the awkwardness, getting used to putting on a carrier, because carriers can be a very effective way to soothe some babies, not all, um, but to allow you to do dishes while you're, you know, um, minding the baby. Um, so just, it's both a practical, oh, how do you do this? And just kind of maneuvering, again, the kind of logistics, the, re the hard reality of it. But also psychologically, you know, mentally, oh, this is kind of what it, you know, this is this is what it feels like. Of course, this baby is not alive, but just starting to um, more intentionally make space in one's mind 
about the behaviors, what's going to go on? How do I feel when I've got somebody in a carrier? Mm, yeah. So like they're there. It's almost like you're pretending that they're there and it puts you that mindset of like, they're going to be here. And now what am I going to do, right. say, think, act? And, and it gives you like that opportunity to experience something close to it. than just like you said before, it's such a shock that, or it's such a difference from what I thought it would be. And so I think what you're saying is it, it, that will almost help start normalizing some of those things where it won't feel as foreign or, uh, yeah, just not not what you're used to because you're right. It's something completely different. You can't just say it is like skiing or riding a bike. But all we know is what we know, and when we don't, we haven't experienced that in our life yet. It is something new. And you're saying, I love how you're saying that. That is some one way to introduce to your whole psyche and your whole really your whole world uh, what this new thing can kind of start to feel like in a way, even though it's not re really, really, really the reality. Well, and I think and just to add to it, sort of the mental piece also that we, you know, we keep on touching on, which I so appreciate is, you know, one of the cognitive strategies, as you know, to sort of deal with the future, it doesn't work for everybody. We always have to be mindful that some tools work for some people and some different ones work for others, but is frankly, imagining the worst. And, you know, and th these don't have to be catastrophic, the worst, but just really imagining, oh, maybe your baby's going to be really colicky. Maybe, you know, and that's just a term for a baby who is on the spectrum. It's totally normal, but it's just shifted on the spectrum to crying for longer durations. And um, it can be very challenging. It can unfortunately be undermining. It really doesn't have to do with the parenting. There are some techniques to learn, but that kind of baby tends to cry more than the baby on the other end of the spectrum who may be more placid. And so that's a cognitive strategy. Okay, let me imagine what it's gonna be like. And how do my partner and I deal with when the dog barks a lot? Well, this is what it's gonna be like, but it's gonna be our baby. So just kind of, and I, so I say the worst just cause that's the phrase, but imagining a range of scenarios um, to prepare. And that's also managing expectations. So if you're noticing someone that you know, or that you love someone close to you, a friend or what have you, um, but you kind of don't know what to say. Like, you're not going to say like, do you have postpartum? <laughs> but what's something you can say that doesn't set off a stress response, but really allows for that care? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's such a great question. And I, I, and I guess so two thoughts come to mind on the one hand, as you say, the, the knowledge about postpartum depression, which is really a good thing is a thousand times more common than even 10, 15 years ago. I mean, it's much more aware that, um, this is frankly the most common complication of childbirth. There are just way more women who end up with postpartum depression, you know, even than gestational diabetes. That's on average for certain groups, for um, people with um, inadequate resources, people of color, they tend to be higher rates of postpartum depression, but the average rate of postpartum depression um, is um, even for that on average is higher than, than you know, other things that we think about commonly that are complications of, of pregnancy. So it's in people's um, mind, minds now, which is very good. So much so that people sometimes say to me, I think I have postpartum, which of course they are postpartum. So they do have postpartum, but what they mean is postpartum depression. So how to talk about that is I think to really gingerly say, you know, how are you doing? Is it, um, you know, is it, is it what you thought it would be like? Because and just really normalizing is you're saying, you know, often it's not quite what people thought it was going to be like, and there are some difficulties there. And um, 
just trying to get people to talk about how they're doing. And sometimes some, that kind of support can be adequate. They have somewhere to go with how they're feeling. And other times, you know, really getting some kind of intervention through their OB or through, you know, a religious association or online postpartum support international is a great resource to get hooked up to care. And what is not postpartum depression? Yeah, I think that's the, you know, the, the moodiness and teariness that typically is close to after giving birth and is, you know, really lasts a few days. Um, we call that the baby blues. Um, you know, having, having all these mixed kind of feelings we're talking about, you know, just because you're, you're more anxious than you're used to being doesn't mean you have postpartum depression or um, you do have some moments of wistfulness or missing something or crying. It doesn't mean it's postpartum depression. It, it you know, and, and then figuring out with yourself and again, or with a, you know, counselor, a psychologist, a social worker, somebody, is this something I need to address? There's something to work on. I need some tools. I need to figure out, or is this just this huge transition and I'm having some different feelings about it. And I, if I have a sister or friend to talk to or my partner, it helps a lot, uh, you know, to normalize it and, and just realizing it's a, it's, a, um, it's a huge transition. And if, if someone listening wanted to learn more or follow you or the work that you're doing uh, to look up any resources, what would you uh, share with them? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm pretty easy to find on the internet, I think. Um, so you can, our lab is called Perinatal Pathways. And then um, it just so happens there aren't that many uh, people, uh, faculty at Columbia with my last name. So if you put Columbia as a good search engine, and if you put Monk Catherine, you'll find me, you'll find my lab and happy to you know help people with resources, um, talk more about what we're doing. All our um, published papers and studies are on our website. Uh, and we're um, you know, open to helping um, people find some resources they may need. But again, Postpartum Support International is a wonderful resource, particularly when people are trying to find help for, for postpartum depression or just some um, feeling like they need some more support. Thank you so much. And I'll add those links in the description notes of this episode. Well, Dr. Monk, I, I could just keep listening to you and I, I, I appreciate your time. Thank you so much for carving out this time to just talk with myself and for our listeners. And I hope it helps um, bring awareness to maybe talking about something that maybe people aren't talking about as much and knowing that it's okay. Like you're, there's nothing wrong with you and it's okay to be open about what you're experiencing. And then, you know, how, how can we help and support you and help support each other and like almost normalize what you're going through and not feel so different or, oh my gosh, what's wrong with me? Um, and I just... From the bottom of my heart, I just want to thank you for everything that you're doing and all the help that you're giving women, and and I appreciate it. And I I will definitely um, share all of your supports with people that that I meet and and come come in contact with. So thank you. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you for the opportunity to talk. It was really enjoyable. Well, that's all we've got for this episode of the Momnificent Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, I would be honored if you would subscribe and rate if you really liked it. I know wherever you're listening right now, it might not be the best time to leave a comment, but feel free to leave a question, a review, or a comment at any time. And until next time, remember, don't worry, be happy.